this morning. If you haven't had a chance to, uh, weren't here at Sunday School, we had an excellent study with Elder Rick Vitanovitz on the creeds and the confessions. So it's going to be posted up online, so I encourage you to see that. We also, in the back, one of the other announcements I wanted to add is there is a prayer list for Mission to the World, our missionary end of the Presbyterian Church in America, and it has prayer needs for each day of the month. So they're back on the uh, rear uh, <clears throat> cabinet there, so please avail yourself of that. I want to thank the body once again for the daunting task to be in the pulpit this morning. It gives me a renewed appreciation for the skill that Pastor Tim brings to this body each week. I thank those who have told me this week they were praying for my preparation. Tim will be back next week, so please prepare your hearts for celebrating the Lord's Supper. If you're visiting today and you're, not, and you're new to the PCA, uh, the session is made up of ruling elders, Dave, myself, uh, Guy Williams, and so forth, and also a teaching elder who is Tim Posey. PCA requires that the Lord's table be overseen by a teaching elder. That's why the last three weeks we've not had the Lord's Supper. But we will have the Lord's Supper next week, so please pray for that and prepare your hearts for that. Also, at the end of the service today, if you're visiting, we are having uh, our end of a month uh, diaconate donation, our benevolence uh, giving. And if you're here visiting for the first time, please don't feel like you have to be uh, give to that. It's for the needs of those that come to the church, both within and without the church. I'm also sorry I wasn't able, I'm fighting a head cold this week, and I didn't come Friday night to the Reformation celebration. I heard there was pinned the uh, thesis on the Wittenberg door, and that there were, there were two Martin Luthers in the form of the Kurapati boys with skull caps on. So I'm sad that I missed that. So thanks to Hannah and Katie and all those who helped with the celebration. It was also a blessing this week to see pictures that Pam posted of Tim standing by the Sea of Galilee. It's a blessing to know that your pastor, when he preaches on that next time, will have a, a, a different sense of what that whole geography is like. Uh, it'll have a significant meaning for him to see it in, in person. I prayed a lot. I realized about a month ago that we had to fill the pulpit, and I prayed about different passages, but I decided today I'm preaching on portions of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, last Sunday, after service, we took our speaker, uh, Wright Draper, a seminarian student, great young man. I, I think he's really gifted. I'm looking forward to what the Lord will do with him. And as we were sat at lunch, he asked me, what are you preaching on next week? And I said, the book of Ecclesiastes. And he commented that one of his professors, Dr. Craig Troxell, who, if you remember, last year filled this pulpit, told him, Right, don't attempt to preach from Ecclesiastes until you're 50 because it won't mean too much, it won't mean as much to you. Well, I'm 68, so I guess I'm age appropriate. Uh, it's a book that finds Solomon looking back on life. It's a book for the autumn of life, but also has great counsel for the young who will listen. We know that when he became king after the passing of his father David, uh, after his, his father David, Solomon was blessed by God for not asking for riches or power or other earthly gifts, but for wisdom. Other rulers came to him and were amazed by his insight. At the end of his life, he summarizes what he has learned in the book we know as Ecclesiastes. And as we read through it, we see that there are two different perspectives. So this is kind of a framework for the sermon, life under the sun and life under heaven. So life under the sun and life under heaven. R.C. Sproul states that Ecclesiastes is really a contrast between these two kingdoms. Uh, 
to give us kind of, kind of a sense of the book, I'm going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1, but our focus today is going to be on chapter 11, verse 8, through the end of chapter 12. So please give attention to God's word. I also want to give credit before I start to my resources. I uh, had looked at different commentaries, and so Dr. Sproul, Dr. Alistair Begg, Dr. Derek Kidner, and uh, Matthew Henry uh, were some of the sources that I, that I referred to. So please give attention to the reading of God's word. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And now at um, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and, and at sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the ears draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides why, being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of flesh. The end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whatever good, whether good or evil. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you that your word is truth. We pray now for the speaker and for those that are gathered here that your word will shape us, that we will hear 
the gospel in it, we will be able to see the reflections that Solomon made at the end of his life and apply them to our own lives, whether we be in our youth or in our later years. Thank you, Father, for the power that is in your word. May it go forth this morning, and we thank you for this time. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. R.C. Sproul stated that he treasured Ecclesiastes because the man that led him to Christ used Ecclesiastes to share the gospel with him. Popular literature has also drawn many times from this book. Ernest Hemingway's novel about the disaffected generation after World War I, The Sun Also Rises, comes from Ecclesiastes, the title. Baby boomers might recall the rock group The Birds, who in 1966 had the number one record of Turn, 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 which took Ecclesiastes III as part of its source. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. This sense of the cycle of things coming and going. Dr. Derek Kidner says that God is the creator, sets this whole scene. We are reminded that his world has its own obstinate shape which we cannot iron out to our own liking. Ecclesiastes states that for who can make straight what he has made crooked? It also has its own impossible to stop rhythms in which we find ourselves caught up. A time for this and a time for that with very little choice for us in the matter as chapter three points out. As sovereign, it is God who has prescribed the frustrations in our life. So we're gonna see throughout Ecclesiastes there is this repeated theme of the futility of life apart from God. It's believed that Solomon penned this later in life in a time of reflecting on the vain pursuits of his younger years. Now, some of the liberal scholars, 19th century and 20th century scholars, question the Hebrew. They feel that it was someone other than Solomon that wrote it. But the vast majority of biblical scholars believe it was indeed Solomon who penned the book of Ecclesiastes. The English title Ecclesiastes comes from the Greek and Latin translation, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it used the term ecclesiast for its title. It means preacher derived from the word ecclesia, translated assembly or congregation or church in the New Testament. Both the Greek and Latin versions derive their titles from the Hebrew title, the koaleth, which means one who calls or gathers the people. It refers to the one who addresses an assembly, hence the preacher, and we see this in the first chapter, the preacher. Some liberal scholars, I've said, have questioned that it was later beyond, but most Reformed and conservative scholars accept that Solomon indeed was the author and they believed that it was written sometime in the 10th century, roughly around 930 BC, primarily to warn the young people of his kingdom without admitting others. He warned them to avoid walking through life on the path of human wisdom. He exhorted them to live by the revealed wisdom of God. Now, as I said, the key word throughout is vanity, which expresses futile attempts to be satisfied apart from God, to find meaning in things apart from the Lord. The word is used in this book more than 30 times, expressing the many things hard to understand about life. All earthly goals and ambitions, when pursued as ends in themselves, produce only emptiness. Having been trained in the Hebrew Bible, we can see that Paul reflects this in Romans. Remember when he says that the creation was subjected to futility. Solomon's experience with the effects of the curse in the garden, which began with Adam and Eve, led him to view life as like a chasing after the wind. Matthew Hemdry, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak, and therefore we hear, we have the words of the penitent Solomon and those published. 
If eminent professors of religion fall into gross sin, they are concerned for the honor of God about the repairing of the damage they have done to his kingdom, openly to testify the repentance that the antidote may be administered as extensively as was the poison. Solomon here wants to ensure that both the young and the elderly and everyone in between are aware of the challenges life under the sun will provide. Vanity here is signifying what is fleeting, futile, incomprehensible, mysterious, enigmatic. The commentary by Dr. Derek Kidder noted that in the Old Testament, we see the high priest called into the Holy of Holies uh, once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, to atone for their sin, the most sacred space in God's presence. In contrast, a life apart from God's presence is but a vanity of vanities. The preacher Koaleth contemplates the emptiness of acquiring wisdom, of pursuing pleasure, of making many buildings, of acquiring wealth, the frustration of toiling diligently only to have all you've, uh, all you've amassed left to another. Um, we get the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I like it for the uh, arts. Not that we have great investments, but it's a good uh, paper in terms of giving you an overview of news. And every Saturday night, they have obituaries about famous people in the corporate world. And it's amazing to see all the things they've amassed in their life, and now they're gone. So vanity of vanities. There's a sense of the utter futility of the pursuits of life. When I was a child, my only understanding of the word was that my parents told me not to mess with my sister's vanity table, uh, where she kept her makeup. But in later years, when I read Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan's Christian takes a trip a side trip to Vanity Fair, which refers to a stop along the Pilgrim's Route. He describes it as a never-ending fair held in a town called Vanity, meant to represent man's sinful attachment to worldly things. A place of dissipation and emptiness that is initially attractive to the eye, yet ultimately without redeeming value. Uh, not to be too critical, but some might say the Las Vegas Strip would uh, qualify for that as well. But Solomon points out that in later years, worldly things lose their attraction as well. Things that once delighted seem vain and empty. But it isn't all darkness. In Dr. Begg's commentary, he talks about um, the fact that we do see the circular nature of life. A generation comes, a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. There are what he describes in the midst of that as pop-ups on the screen, like on our computer screen. Now, I'm of an age where my pop-ups tend to be Medicare Part D plans, uh, but Dr. Begg is talking about more positive things. He says, for instance, at Ecclesiastes 3.13, we read, Eat, drink, and be merry, and take pleasure in your toil. This is God's gift to man. At Ecclesiastes 5.19, accept your lot and rejoice in your toil. At Ecclesiastes 8.15, eat, drink, and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. At Ecclesiastes 9.9, enjoy the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, given you under the sun, because this is your portion in life. We find wearisome the routines of life, yet God provides hope in the midst of our frustrations. We live in a culture that lives for the weekend. You know, when I, I retired two years ago, but I remember every Friday, my uh, employees, often you'd hear them start chanting, TGIF, TGIF. You know, they couldn't wait for the weekend. I noticed this week, too, it used to be the radio DJs would start talking about the weekend, like on Thursday afternoon. But I heard one on Tuesday this week saying, well, two, two days down towards the weekend. So this, this sense of, you know, the tiredness of life and looking to live for that, that, that day when I have freedom, when I can be more a, 
a master of my own time. I saw that with my coworkers too in Chops of Retirement. I hear people talking about five more years or 32 more months until I can live the life I want to. They saw work as a burden rather than as a productive gift. Not always, but many times that was kind of the, the tempo of, of their talk. Many live a life longing for the day when retirement comes to put aside the frustrations of the workaday world, but it is not the answer as we will discuss. <clears throat> At the end of uh, chapter 11, the preacher is warning the believer to seek for the knowledge of God while your youth is with you. I shared a few weeks ago that I just went to my 50th high school reunion and uh, they assigned uh, some young people to take us around, to show us the changes that had happened in the buildings in the school. And um, the, uh, the uh, church had got a large donation from the former governor of California, Arnold. And uh, they had done a lot of updates. So as they were taking us around, uh, they finished the tour and they were all sitting together, the six of them by themselves, uh, apart from all the, all, all us class of 72 people. And I went over to them and I said to them, you know, look at these people. Two seconds ago, we were your age. And they looked at me like, okay, can you leave us alone now? <laughs> they were pleasant. But I thought to myself, yeah, you know, if someone from the class of 1922 had come to me and said those same things when I was 17, it wouldn't have made a lot. In our youth, we think we know it all. Dr. Sproul states that Ecclesiastes, a proper balance of the prominent enjoy life theme with that of divine judgment, tethers the reader to Solomon's God with the importance of faith in God's providence and his call for obedience. For a time in his early years, Solomon suffered from the unbalance of trying to enjoy life without regard for the fear of God's judgment, holding on to the path of obedience. In the end, he came to grasp the importance of obedience. This book shows that if one perceives each day of existence, labor, and basic provision as a gift from God and accepts whatever God gives, then that person lives an abundant life. This echoes Jesus' words at John 10.10, 10, for the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. If one looks to be satisfied apart from God, though, we will live life with futility regardless of what we ac accumulate. In our passage this morning, we see that Solomon warns the youthful person that what they experience now is not what their body will know in later years. He says, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Days of darkness in later years. Now, when I was young, I thought of not, not the walking for miles. I, um, for many times in our family, we did not have a car, so the option for getting around was either walking or taking the city bus. And I never thought twice about it. Now my travels are limited by cane and pain, and these words now have far more meaning than they would have to me when I was 18. If you had told me back then, I probably would have not understood the reality of what aging can mean. When I went to my 10th high school reunion in 1982, we wanted to see how people had changed and if they'd made it through college and started their careers. In 1992, at my 20th reunion, it was who had kids or how had their careers progressed. But when I went to my 50th recently, there was a lot of talk about Medicare plans, who had surgeries, both successful and unsuccessful, the loss of parents, and realizing that in a class of 180, I had 180 in my high school graduating class, the 25 of us had already died. Just this week, I was notified of another classmate that had died unexpectedly. Vanity of vanities. 
We had a touch of this. When I was a high school junior, we, I had a female classmate, a really quiet girl, didn't really get to know her very well, but her parents lived on the Pacific Coast Highway. And one day, from the front yard, her dog dashed out, and unthinkingly, she ran out to, to stop her dog, and she was run over and killed. A few days later, several parents carpooled about 20, 20 station wagons and took the entire class to attend her funeral at the Our Lady of Malibu, which is one of the feeder schools into my high school, St. Monica's. And although we were sad, I'd imagine that most of us lived life with the belief that that couldn't happen to us. But Solomon wants the younger person to be aware that life has tragedy and the emptiness of taking the wrong path. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw nigh of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. When my children were small, I'd say like around 10 and 6, and we would take trips in the van, long trips down to San Diego or whatever, what, what, summer trips, we'd have um, CDs in the car. And I really recommend to parents all the CDs that Judy Rogers, she's a, a wife of a Presbyterian, a PCA minister, and, and uh, she came up with wonderful biblical songs, Go to the Ant and the Ten Commandments song. They're all very helpful in memorizing scripture, and they love singing to that. And then for those under 50, you probably won't remember, but the, we had a disc by a man named Tennessee Ernie Ford of gospel hymns. He was famous in his time, but mostly now forgotten, but he loved gospel hymns, and the kids would sing along to that. But we weren't always so sanctified. We had two other discs that they would sing to. Now, no disrespect to the country fans in the audience, but I only had one in the car, which was Martina McBride singing country classics, and one was of Loretta Lynn's song, and I smile now thinking of my 10 and 6-year-olds belting out, because you ain't woman enough to take my man. <laughs> Another song, though, that they loved and they would ask me to, sing, to play all the time was by Bette Midler off a disc uh, that celebrated the, the songs of Rosemary Clooney. Most of those under 50 won't remember Rosemary Clooney, except she's in White Christmas, and uh, also that she is uh, George Clooney's aunt. But she was quite the singer in the 1950s. Um, a songwriter by the name of Stuart Hamblin, who was known as the Cowboy Preacher, and he wrote a lot of songs that were used at the Billy Graham Crusade. In the 1950s, um, he was on a hunting trip in the High Sierras, and he and a friend uh, saw this kind of bedraggled um, cabin that looked like it was falling apart, and he opened the door, and to his great shock and surprise, there was a recently deceased man in there, along with his very faithful dog, Standing Guard. And after he got back from that trip, he wrote a song called This Old House. In this song, he states, This old house once rang with laughter. This old house knew many shouts. Now it trembles in the darkness when the lightning walks about. Ain't gonna need this house no longer. Ain't gonna need this house no more. Ain't, gonna ain't got time to fix the shingles. Ain't got time to fix the floor. Ain't got time to oil the hinges nor to mend the window pane. Ain't gonna need this house any longer for I'm getting ready to meet the saints. I think the writer, Mr. Hamlin, was echoing what Solomon had to say about the body as we age. Solomon uses the metaphors of our body's decay here as we age. The house trembles. Our bodies fail, and the young person is warned by Solomon that the later years will have its challenges. The keepers of the house, the strength of our arms and of our legs fail. Old men are bent, the legs and the spine decay, and our strength ebbs. 
The grinders cease because our teeth decay and begin to fall out if we're not taking good dental hygiene. Those who look through the windows dim like our eyesight does as myopia and glaucoma take over and the doors are shut indicating our hearing becomes more and more diminished. We can't control when these things happen in life. Living under the sun, you will die and the fallen world will go on without you. The great lesson here that Solomon is trying to teach us is that we are temporal, but remember that the Lord is eternal. What has been will be again. I was kind of a stupid 12-year-old, though, because I can't remember the exact moment or why. I remember, I, I remember where we were. We were going down Lincoln Boulevard in my, the, um, our station wagon at one time when we did have a car. And I remember my dad saying, and I don't remember the context, but he said, you know, son, there's nothing new under the sun. And I turned to him and said, yeah, but dad, the 1966 Chevy is very different than the 1926 Chevy. <laughs> Spoken like a true fool. But, but Solomon here is in dealing with inventions. He's talking about the repetitive patterns of life. Dr. Sproul in his commentary states that the life apart from God is circular. What has already been, we are here for a season and we are forgotten as new things come. And he notes that many of the philosophers dealt with this frustration. And as we come into the 20th century, we know the existentialist philosophers who said the only meaningful ending of life due to its ultimate fertility was suicide. Apart from the Lord, it seems like a never-ending series of frustrations. Our dear former elder, uh, Dean Haywood, used to refer to it as the contrariness of things, just things in life that just don't work the way they should. But life in the Lord is filled with purpose and meaning and is not a circle but on a timeline which had a beginning in eternity past, had its apex at the cross on Calvary, and will have its completion when Christ returns. To live apart from this is empty, ultimately without meaning, and truly a vanity of vanities. Solomon goes on to say, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. These are all metaphors for how the systems of the body become frailer and frailer. Matthew Henry states that <clears throat> for the unbeliever, they will leave behind a melancholy house only to find themselves in the far more melancholy house of eternal separation from the Lord. As we age, our hair turns gray. The blossoms of the almond tree come in pink, but quickly turn white. Where once our body responded to every command, now like the broken grasshopper, we limp along. When once we were filled with desire, that desire fails. We used to sleep soundly, but now every little sound can stir us awake. The silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth. All these are metaphor for the fragility of later life. But then Solomon gives us great hope in that those who live in the Lord have a greater expectation beyond suffering and the trials of aging. Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now we know that goads in ancient times were put on a yoke to impel a team of animals to move forward. But here they're used as the wisdom that is found in God's word alone. 
God's word gives us hope and urges us to live in the light of his goodness and the hope of Jesus' accomplished work at the cross and ultimately in his resurrection and return. All earthly books and much study will bring weariness, but God's word brings encouragement and refreshment and hope. When I was first saved, I remember that one of the easy ways to remember uh, scripture was by listening to the song that was based on Micah 6.8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice and to love mercy and walk humbly with thy God. But here, Solomon the preacher is even more succinct. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This echoes Jesus' words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Matthew Henry states that what is that good which the sons of men do? What is the true way to true happiness, the certain means to attain our great end? He had in vain sought it among those things which most men are eager in pursuit of. But here at length he is founded by the help of that discovery which God anciently made to man. That serious godliness is the only way to true happiness. Fear him alone, keep his commandments. We see this echoed in Romans 12 when Paul states and gives an indication of what living on life under heaven should be like for the Christian. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, living not under the sun, but with an internal perspective that shapes our lives. Life under the sun leads to frustration, vanity. Life under heaven is rich in knowing God. Now we know that as sinners, <clears throat> when Solomon says us to keep the commandments, that none of us can keep the commandments perfectly. It's not an option for us. We know that scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we have a savior who kept the commandments perfectly. If you are here today and never given your life to Christ, the question you must ask yourself is, am I living a life under the sun or one that has lived under heaven? Do you feel frustration in the emptiness of life? Then I encourage you to talk to one of the elders about the hope you have that Christ paid for your sins once and for all at Calvary. The elders would love to share with you if you'd like to learn more about the Lord who died for your sins so that you might have life eternal. May our lives not be lived in the futility of life merely under the sun, but always be in the encouragement and light of living under heaven. For those young and strong, be aware that life will not always be so. Before you know it, if the Lord doesn't return, the class of 2072 will be here. Christ died for you so that your sin will not cause you to regret when the days of aging come. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its um, ability to reach into our hearts and to remind us of what we are called to. We know that we are so prone to sin, Father. We are so prone to seeking our own. And Solomon's words help us to see the larger picture, that we are called to live a life that is in obedience to you. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for these words penned so long ago. But may they have meaning for us now and in the week ahead as we go out. Help us to be bold in our sharing. Help us to bring the gospel. 
And Father God, we do thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. And we ask all these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, Mark, would you pray for us for the... Uh,